you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Romans chapter 1. I want to begin reading in verse 4 and read down through verse 15. Hey, Mr. Danny, will you close that back door for me, please, sir? Now, for those of you who spend a lot of time and study at home and you see that we're in 4 through 15, that's very different than anyone else breaks up these passages. And the reason for that is we finished up two weeks ago with Paul's statement of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what takes place in these passages that we're about to read together is the effect of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see his lordship and how it's changed the life of the Apostle Paul. And then we will read on and see how his lordship has affected our lives. And so that's why I've divided these passages up in this way. But I want you to pay attention to the lordship of Christ as I read through these. So let me invite you to stand with me as we read the word of the Lord. And then we'll pray together. Again, at the end of verse 4. We have Paul's climactic conclusion of the gospel. Jesus Christ, our Lord, verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you are also the called of Jesus Christ to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called saints grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world for God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers making requests, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that is, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been, pre been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now may we be eager to hear the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I praise you and I thank you for our time together this morning. Father, I praise you for what you have done through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary. Father, through your grace and your love, we have been adopted into the family of God and we have been made your sons and your daughters and we will forever thank you and praise you. Father, I praise you for the opportunity, as my brother prayed just a second ago, that we have to meet together in the name of Christ. I praise you for the word of God that you have given us so that we can understand more of who you are and what you have done for us. 
And I praise you for the spirit in which you have placed in us as your people. So, Father, I pray that you would help us now as we look at your word, that you would teach us and instruct us and make us more like your glorious son. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Now, just by way of review, when we were back in the book of Romans and it was two weeks ago, Paul had carefully laid out his definition of the gospel of God. And let me remind you, when Paul lays out his definition, it's the spirit of God laying out God's definition of his own gospel. If you remember, he began there in verse one, the last four words of verse one, as the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And then we have these three words concerning his son. And so when we were together two weeks ago, we understood that the fullness of the gospel, the essence of God's good news has everything to do about the son. Now, there is a part of the good news that comes to us that is about us because it is what has saved us. In fact, when we get to verse 16, Paul will say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Yes, but we understand that what God has done in his son through the gospel by making him Lord and king over all is the primary work of the father through the gospel. And it was done in the son. This gospel is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul concludes with those words. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our king. Now, it's purely by the sovereignty of God and not my own doing. I realized this week that I have been constructing a framework for you in order to help you get a greater and grander picture of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because for the last two times that I preached to you, we talked about the two great things that God has done. And he has done both of them in relationship to his son. Remember the first thing that we talked about? It's on the very first page of the Bible, the great thing that God has done. And he created everything, right? But we learn in the New Testament that everything God created, he did it in relationship to the son, which means there is nothing that has been created that has not been created in relationship to the son. Colossians 1.16, Paul writes, For in Christ all things were created, both in the heavens or on the earth, visible, invisible. It doesn't matter if it's thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Everything has been created through Christ and for Christ. And then he goes on to say, Christ is before all things and in Christ all things hold together. So everything God made, which he made out of nothing according to his word, he made it in relationship to the Son. But then the second thing that I told you, the second great work of God is the work of the gospel. And we know from these passages that we just read in Romans 1 that he did everything in relationship to the Son. In fact, Paul says this is the gospel of the Son which concerns the Son. And so through this gospel, the Father has made the Son Lord. Now listen, from creation to recreation, if you will, through the gospel Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, if you'll take that framework, you'll begin to understand that every molecule in all of existence, Christ reigns over. That breath that you just drew came from the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
That baby that was just born came from the sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ. That heart beating in your chest came from the lordship of Jesus Christ because God has done everything in the son and the son is Lord over all. So we come to this understanding and we see these next five words that Paul has for us. And if you'll notice with me in verse five, through whom many Christ we have received. Through whom we have received what? And I hope you know the answer to that. That's where I've been the entire last two weeks. In fact, I didn't need the five words. I just needed the three words through whom we. And I began to think about all that. So let me see if I can get you to the place where I was in my worship as I studied this word. Listen to the logic. Follow along. If God created everything in in relationship to the son and if God through the gospel reconciled all things through the son, then what has God given us in his son? What's the answer? Everything. Everything. There is nothing that you have physically or spiritually that didn't come from the grace of God through the Son to you. And when I began to think about that, I began to weep. But before I go on to the first five words, let me just talk about the first three words and talk about our physical existence. Because Paul says in verse four, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we think about that. Without Christ, there would be no you. Without Christ, there would be no us. Remember when Paul preached this, you don't have to turn there. It was in Acts 17. And he was speaking to a bunch of philosophers, a bunch of idol worshipers. And this is what Paul says in his sermon. He said, while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription that merely read to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this is what I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth. He does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Now listen, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he has made from one man, Adam, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth even having determined their appointed times and the places in which they would live, that we would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. Now you have God to thank through Jesus Christ for your very existence. Do you realize an unbeliever has cause to worship God? And this is what dawned on me. I know they don't. I realize they can't. But you do realize they have every reason to do so. Because if it had not been for the grace of God through the Son, they wouldn't even exist. Through whom we exist and have our being. God has done that for all peoples. In other words, I sat there and I began to dwell on this. And as I drew my breath, I said, God, thank you for that breath. And when we got back home from vacation, I laid in my bed at night. I said, God, thank you for my bed. You didn't promise a bed, but I have a bed. And I looked up and I said, thank you, God, for this roof. You didn't promise me a roof, but you've given me a roof. And those clothes on your body, you have but God to thank. 
And then I began to think about my family and I began to praise God for my wife. If it had not been for the son of God, I would not have my wife. Do you realize that? If it was not for the son of God and the grace of God through the son, I would not have my children. I would not have strength in my back to work. I wouldn't have my mind to even be able to think. I wouldn't have feet to walk. I wouldn't have hands to do if it was not for the grace of God. Through the work of the Son, we would not exist, let alone have anything. But because of what He's done, we have everything. So even the lost have great reason to worship the God who has made them and the God who has blessed them through the Son. But those are just physical things. Because we know as the children of God, our greater blessing is spiritual things, right? So what has God given us through the Son, spiritually speaking? Well, what does it say? Remember Ephesians 1 verse 3? Blessed be the God and Father, right? Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So what has God not given you? Not one thing. Because He has given us everything And he has done it through the son. Every spiritual blessing, listen, every spiritual blessing that God possesses, he's already given to you in Christ. There is nothing left. You've received the fullness. We just wait to enjoy that fullness in his presence, right? So of all these things, then let's think. We're working our way down, right? Of all these things, what is the one thing that we're most thankful for? Of all these things that we've been given, what is the most important thing? If I have nothing else to praise God for, what is that one thing that I praise God for? What is that? It's your salvation. If we don't have salvation in Christ, we have no hope for eternal life. So out of all the things that I've just described from your wife to your kids, to your ability to work, to roof over your head, to clothes on your body, all the way to the spiritual things that God has blessed us with and given to us. Out of all those things, we praise him for the hope that we have of eternal life through his son. That's exactly where Paul begins. Notice with me in verse eight. Romans one, verse eight. Paul writes first. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because of what? Your faith. First, I thank my God for you all because of your faith. Now he goes on to describe their faith. Their faith has been proclaimed throughout the whole world. But Paul brings this idea first. Now let me say, I do something first with what most people do. You get into this and study this, they say first is this order of succession and you never find secondly In fact, most of the time from the Apostle Paul, you don't find secondly anything. And so they have this idea that he's probably just like every other preacher who says, let me give you three points. He winds up giving you two and he completely forgets his third. And you go home going, I wonder what it was. But I don't think that's what Paul's doing at all, because this word that's translated first can also be translated foremost. In other words, first order of business. What is the very first order of business for the child of God? It is thanksgiving. And we have cause to thank God every time our eyes open in the morning and our feet hit the floor. We have cause to thank God. Every time we lay down at night and close our eyes, we have great cause to thank God. In fact, if you read all of Paul's letters, every one of them save one, 
begins with thanksgiving. First Corinthians one, Paul says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you. Ephesians one, I do not stop giving thanks for you. Philippians one, I thank God in all my remembrance of you. Colossians one, we give thanks to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, since we've heard of your faith. Every letter but one. What's the one? Book of Galatians. And he never thanks God. And do you know why he never thanks God in the book of Galatians? Because they changed the gospel. And rather than beginning with, I thank God for you, he, he literally says, I am befuddled at you. I am desperately confused right now because you changed the gospel. And if you change the gospel about the son, you have no hope. But every other letter, Paul begins with thanksgiving. And we understand that believers, our lives need to begin with thanksgiving as well. But notice what he thanks him for. Again, I'll take you back to verse 8. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because of your faith. It literally reads, the faith of yours. It is the faith of yours. But let me ask you this. Who does he thank for the faith of yours? Because if it was yours, if it was your faith, it looks like Paul would thank you. I'm so thankful for that faith of yours. I appreciate the faith of yours. But that doesn't, that's not what he does at all. Who does he thank for our faith? I thank God the Father for the faith of yours, which helps us understand what? Where does this faith that we, that we profess in Christ, where does it come from? Does it come from you? Not at all. You see, even the faith that we have is a gift from God. And this is not the only place that we find this. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, By His doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Philippians 1, It has been granted to you for the sake of Christ to believe in Christ. See, even the faith that we have is a gift from God. A lot of people run around saying, Oh, everybody has faith. Everybody has faith. You just need to use that faith or activate that faith. That's not what the text says. The text says, if you have saving faith, you understand that that's not even from yourself. It is a gift from God. And most of you are already thinking of a passage that I haven't mentioned yet, right? Ephesians 2. Paul writes this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Grace, salvation through faith, that is the gift of God. What's the gift of God when you think about that passage? Is grace a gift from God? Well, if it's not a gift, it's not grace. If I have to do something, by definition, it's no longer grace. I've earned it. I worked for it and I achieved it and now it's mine. But that's not what the text says. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift. So grace is the gift. But what about salvation? Is salvation a gift? You better believe it's a gift. And if you don't believe salvation is a gift, just buckle down, because we got a long way to go in the book of Romans, and it'll tell you time and time again, it's not by your works. And by the time you get to the end of the book of Romans, you'll slap yourself in the face for thinking that you could earn the favor of God. None of us can do that. None of us are good enough to receive anything from the Father. But we know someone who is. And we know someone who has. 
And we know that the Son has indeed, in fact, earned our salvation. But it's given to us as a gift, which leaves only word and one word on the table. You've been saved through faith. Is that faith a gift? Well, most certainly it is. It's not of yourself. You see, grace is not of yourself. Salvation is not of yourself. And faith is certainly not of yourself. The faith that you have in Christ, God has given you. And you ought to praise Him and worship Him for it. Because if he had not done it, you would not have it. So let me ask you this question. Since we worked our way down through faith, through what means has God given us this faith? Did he look in eternity past and said, yes, you know, Jonathan Carroll, he, he's going to believe, so I'm going to give him the gift of faith. And look through eternity past and say, yeah, Dustin's going to believe. I'm going to give him faith. No, no, no. The avenue through which we have received our faith is grace and grace alone. Look at verse 5. Look at what Paul says. These five words and this one word that follows. Through whom we have received grace. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace. Now if you look down in verse 7, you'll see the same thing. Second part of verse 7, Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? We're going to find grace all over this book. Of all the books or all the letters that Paul wrote, where do you think we're going to find grace the most often? It's going to be in the book of Romans. Why? Because he's going to talk about the gospel in the book of Romans from beginning to end. And there is no gospel apart from grace. Because the gospel is grace from beginning to end. Paul uses grace 25 times in this letter. Listen to me. We're children of grace. We're not children who have worked for the favor of God. We're not the people who have been good enough to deserve the favor, the blessing of God. We're the children who ought not be here. And I've told you many times. The proper response when someone walks up to you in heaven and asks you, how'd you get here? Your response should be, I have no idea. If it was not for the grace of God, trust me, I would not be here. Because when you get there, you're beginning to understand what grace truly is. If you find yourself in glory, I want you to be the most shocked people in entire existence. So you can fully understand the grace that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. It is immeasurable. But I want you to notice back in verse 7 what this grace has accomplished. Look at this. Grace to you. And then what's the next word? Peace. To all who are beloved of God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, from Ephesians 2, the children of wrath have been granted peace. The rebels in all of their rebellion has been granted peace. Paul's going to say in Romans 8, 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why is there no longer judgment for those who are in Christ? Because they've been granted peace. Now, you all know I do this, and I'm sure you get tired of this. Every time I read the word peace, what do I say? What's that question that frustrates me that has to do with peace? Have you made peace with God? People say that. I hope you know the answer to that. No, I haven't. 
I have not made peace with God, but I know someone who made peace with the Father on my behalf. You see, rather than making peace with the Father, I made rebellion. Rather than making peace with God, I made sin. Rather than making peace with God, I made disobedience. But now his son, on my behalf, he died in my place for all my sin and all my rebellion. Now he's the one that's made peace for me. And that's why we're commanded to believe and trust in the one who has died for us. Because through him, we have grace and peace with God. Now, Paul uses three words here to describe this effect that grace and peace has had on us. Look with me in verse five. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. And then notice his three words here. And we've talked about these before. Among whom you are also the called of Jesus Christ to all who are beloved of God in Rome and to all those who are called saints. Three words, right? We are the called, we are the beloved, and we are called saints. Now, this first phrase, the called of Jesus Christ, it's actually got an article here, the call. Meaning he's speaking about a particular group of people. And if you're in Christ, God refers to you as the called of Christ. You see, with God, there is no general call. There's only an effectual call. In other words, when God calls you, there is always the response of faith. When I call you, we're going to have to wait and see. And that's what I do from this pulpit. I give you what scripture called the general call. Repent from your sins and put your faith in Christ. And honestly, that comes without power. I mean, I can yell it. I can walk up and down in this pulpit and these aisles and say it time and time again, but it does not have the power that God has when God calls you. Because when God calls you, you sense it in every molecule of your being into the deep recesses of your soul and you respond in faith. Because the one who has made you has called you. And that's the effectual call. It's the exact same word that Paul uses in verse 1 where he says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called apostle. Paul wasn't invited to be an apostle. This is what we talked about when we went to this word. When, when God stopped him on the road to Damascus and struck him down off that horse, he didn't say, hey, Paul, get up. I want to talk with you about something. I really want you to be my apostle. Would you pray about it? Would you consider maybe serving me as an apostle? That's not what happened at all. God uses the word I've appointed you, apostle. And it's this same word that he says called apostle is the same word that's used to you in regard to your relationship with God. You are the called. Now listen, when there's in the text responsibility, you know I hammer you under the pew with responsibility. I just did with the men in Proverbs 4. But let me tell you something. In this text, there's nothing but grace and there's no responsibility. You are simply referred to as the called of Jesus Christ. But not only that, you're also referred to back up in verse 7 as the beloved. Now, we all love John 3.16. It's the same word. For God so loved the world. And the word world in that text is the word cosmos, which literally means the sum total of everything. 
And if you were to say God loves the sum total of everything that has ever been made in all of the universe, you'd be faithful to the text. And this word beloved is the exact same word, but we know from the context that it means so much more than that. In fact, this same word is used in Luke 3 where the Lord says, Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was open. The Spirit of God descended upon Christ in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of the heaven saying, You are my beloved Son. In other words, the Father said to the Son, This is my beloved And just from the context, we can see the significance of the love of God. Now, let me help you understand this. I love all of y'all. I truly do. But now there's one woman in this room that I love. And you know that. And you don't have a problem with that. In fact, you expect that out of me as a husband. There's a woman in this room sitting on the front row now I love. And I'll use the same word. But you understand when I say that about her, now he's talking, he's talking on a different plane. He loves me. I know that. Right, Brad? He loves me. But he knows how much, Brad knows how much I love my wife and how much I mean it when I say, now that one there is my beloved. I tell you, I love all your kids. Most of them I do. <laughs> but now there's three in my life. They are the beloved. And I had the best time of my life last week sitting on the beach and all three of them were there. And this other guy that married in. And I thought, now these three, they're my beloved. I'll add him too. You understand the context? For God so loved the world that he loved. But listen, when Paul speaks to you as believers, he says, now they, these people right here, they're the beloved of God. And you need to know he loves you. And he gave his son for you. And there is no general love for you. You are known as the beloved of God because he's adopted you as his own. And he's done it through the blood of the son. And then second, or thirdly rather, we come to this last word here in verse 7. You've been called as saints. And that's literally the word for holy. Catholic Church has done so much damage to not only the gospel, but many of the words that we find in the Bible. Listen, there's no such thing as earning sainthood. There's nothing in this Bible that you and I earn everything in this Bible, Christ has earned on our behalf. And I know it's weird to call you saints, but that's exactly who you are in Christ. It's weird for me to think of myself as a saint because I'm like, just spend five minutes with me and you'll never use that word again, right? No, I'm a saint based on what Christ has done. You're a saint. You don't have to earn that. You're called that because of what Christ has done. And so through the grace of God, Right. On the basis of grace, we are known as the called, the beloved, and then finally the saints of God. And so this is what God has done through the gospel. And this is what we worship God for through the gospel. We're thankful for the grace that we've received. But even Paul will be 
Paul will do this in regard to himself. Notice back with me at verse 5 again. Romans 1 verse 5. Notice what Paul says. And this, I'll bring it to the very last thought this morning. But really it's an introduction to next week as well. So I want you to ponder this last thought as we go through this together. So walk with me. Verse 5. Through whom we have received. Notice, grace. There's Paul's salvation. And apostleship. To bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for the sake of the name of his. Literally, for the sake of the name of his. So in other words, for the Apostle Paul, the day that he received the grace was the same day that he was made a bondservant. It was the same day that he was set apart for the gospel. And it was the very same day he was made an apostle. The day Paul met Christ is the same day he was made an apostle. And let me show you this. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts 26. Acts 26. I want you to walk through this with me if you're able. Because we don't think of the gospel in this respect at all. And we must learn to do this. Acts 26 verse 1. Paul's been arrested. He's in Jerusalem. Three times we have in the book of Acts, Paul giving his testimony and in Acts 26, Paul's giving his last time that we have his testimony. And he's giving it to King Agrippa. So listen to this. Acts 26, verse 1, Agrippa says to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand. He proceeded to make his defense. And in regard to all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, Paul says, I consider myself fortunate King Agrippa that I'm about to give you my testimony literally before you today. Verse 9, we're not going to read it all. Verse 9, so then Paul says, I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus. Verse 12, while so engaged in doing all these hostile things to Christ and Christians, as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Verse 15. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now notice verse 16. But get up, stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only of the things which you have seen, but also of the things in which I will show to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified through faith in me. So here we have the day, and this day started out this morning with Paul wreaking havoc on Christ. And about midway, halfway through that day, Jesus Christ appears to him, blinds him, calls him, and appoints him all the same day. Now, we don't think of the gospel that way at all, do we? We just think about the day we're saved. 
Do we think about the day in which we were appointed to the service and worship of Christ our King? At the end of Romans verse 5, Paul says this, and you can be turning back if you want. Romans 1, 4, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. And then we've got these last four words of verse 5, for his name's sake. Now let me ask you this question. For what reason did the Apostle Paul receive grace? For his name's sake. For what reason did the Apostle Paul become appointed apostle? For his name's sake. For what reason did God save you? For his name's sake. For what reason were you called to the worship and service of your king? For his name's sake. You see, I'm afraid, I'm convinced that for the last, I don't know, couple of hundred years, we've made the gospel about us. We think our salvation solely had to do with rescuing us from hell. And we've forgotten that our salvation had everything to do with His name's sake. You know what an oxymoron is? I know you know what a moron is. We see one on television quite often these days, and I'll leave that right there. An oxymoron is a combination of two words that don't go together. In other words, the example that you'll find in the Bible is cruel kindness. You're like, wait a minute. That doesn't go together. I thought of an oxymoron while I was at the beach. Abby had her phone, as she always does, because she's usually talking to this guy. But I said, Abby, shoot me a text, and I want you to put on it purposeless grace. So when I got back home, I got out my Bible and I, I remembered that text and I was sitting there. You know, that's our problem. Purposeless grace. And you're like, wait a minute, that, those two words don't go together. No, they don't, but we've made them go together. Because we've forgotten that the reason that we have received grace is for the worship and service of the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm so thankful that the grace of God that was given me rescued me from the hell that I deserve. But my salvation does not stop there because it came with purpose. And it came with the purpose of worshiping and serving our King. I think Tyler's going to put it up there for us. It's the last verse and then we're done. We'll sing in response to God. But Romans 12 verse 1 this is the climactic point of, of the book of Romans. If this is a book, this is where the hinge lies, Romans 12, 1. Paul will say these words, therefore. In other words, after 11 chapters of explaining the gospel, Paul brings us to this conclusion. He says, since the gospel, therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies your life, a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. And then we've got this confusing phrase, which is your spiritual service of worship. It literally says the spiritual Latruo of yours. And when we get there, I'll explain it in a lot more detail. But Latruo is a funny word. We ran across it in Hebrews. It can be translated two different ways. 
And depending on the context is how you translate it. It can either be worship or service. Either one works. In other words, when we read Romans 12, 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your service to God. You present yourselves to God for service. Or, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your worship. Either way works. But do you understand? And I'll leave you with this thought. God has saved you for a purpose. And it's not difficult. It's not some grand thing from the world's perspective. But from a heavenly perspective, it's the purpose of God. He saved you that you might worship Him and serve Him. May we be a people who are committed to fulfilling the purpose for which we are saved. This morning we worship. This evening we're going to serve. But we're the kind of people who are doing one or the other all the time. Let's pray.